no telling what you might get out of this whole this whole thing. But uh, they went traveling last week and went back to uh, Tyler's home uh, field and went back to Belleville, where he's from, and and uh, they ate at that really expensive place I think called the Hill and uh, had them a burger. So, uh, but uh, it has been a joy to just kind of watch our youth be excited, um, get to see how a young man um, tackles the job ahead of him with a good dose of truth. And if you're wondering, should I have my kids and youth, I, I will assure you that he is going to tell them nothing but truth, um, not Tyler's truth, um, but but scripturally he's going to use God's word and for that I'm very thankful and and uh but uh, this past Wednesday they they had a very interesting game if I'm not mistaken so Tyler real quick if you could come up just for a second just come on buddy I want you to explain to the parents what you did to our kids <laughs> on on Wednesday chop chop let's go buddy let's go yeah hurry so they can know what you did to our poor kids Wednesday night I think it's important Carlos doesn't want to tell them. Just grab it. Grab that green mic right there. Those guys in the back know what they're doing. So we, Hold on, you got to cut it on first, buddy. It, it's uh, there. You go. Batteries are in here. Still not on. It's coming on. All right, that's better. So we basically played ultimate frisbee, but we played it with a cow tongue. Um, I, I did learn that um, an unnamed student uh, threw the cow tongue into Carlos's face and. It touched his tongue as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so if you're wondering if you should bring your kids to Pine Island Baptist, if that right there don't sell you, I don't know what will. Yeah. Yeah. How the, I don't know how that's going to tie in either, but I just wanted the people to know. We picked a good one, didn't we? <laughs> All right. Well, there are a couple of titles that I thought about for this particular sermon. Um, how to make the church beautiful again, but I didn't think that was appropriate. Build back better, and we realized that wasn't working. <laughs> so I thought, why not how to attract the lost? One of the things that we should be concerned with at our church is being attractive to the lost. How to make our church look like something someone would want to come and be a part of. A place where people would come and and suddenly life itself would change. That's what we should be trying to to be and who we should be trying to be is that, that, that church that the people say, wow, I want to be a part of that. That's where I want to go. That's who I want to be. Paul told the people to walk like he walked, to, to act like he acted. And, and, and as a church, there has to be that, that attitude of we want people to know how to walk with Christ. So we ourselves will do everything we can to attract the lost. Now, in our world today, there's a lot of new ways that we can do things, such as playing Ultimate Frisbee with the cow tongue. Maybe that'll bring the kids in, you know, if we do weird things like that. If 
Uh, but we're going to build this church up. We're going to do some different things. So some people say, well, you need, you know, you just need new music. If you have new music, um, then everything will change. Well, you know, if you have nothing but new music, then you have some older folks who are going, wait a second. What about those good, solid gospel hymns that we used to sing that, that have great theology? Now, if you don't know what theology is, then we're really in need of some work. Okay. But you want to go back to some good, solid theology, you can go back to some of those old hymns, which, by the way, a lot of those came out of bars. Did y'all know that? If you really know your history, you find out that there's a lot more to this Christian walk than what you think. So some people say, well, we just need new music. Others say, well, we need a new building. If we'll just build a new building. Now, let me tell you how this works. In our church, I mentioned the fact that, hey, maybe one day we need a new building. Josh Colbeck gets on his head and his mind. He starts thinking, new building. Well, I'll just design this thing. So Josh has designed three or four new churches. All y'all got to do is just write a check and pay for them, right? We even figured out how to make it all work, right, Josh? We connected all the buildings. Everything would be together. Some stuff would be tore down. Some stuff would be new. So, you know, if you built a new building, then people would come because everybody likes something new until the new wears off, right? How many people do you know in church that are like that? It's all good until the new wears off. It's all good until you say something I don't necessarily like or agree with, and then out the door they go. Maybe we just need a new youth center. You'd like a new youth center, wouldn't you? That thing is brand new, boy. Don't even start, okay? It's barely over two years old. You should like that thing. Typical new people. They don't know how to appreciate what's already there. Caltone. Still don't know that one. I'm sure he didn't. But he made our poor kids play with it. You know, we have all these ideas. If we just do these things, then we can attract new people. If we have new lights, if we, if we go from, from pews to chairs, and by the way, we did not switch from pews to chairs because we were trying to get new people in. We switched from pews to chairs because we didn't want people falling through the pews. They were that, they had gotten to be that old, the age had caught up with them, and so we had to switch. And this was a great alternative, it was quick and easy. We've changed the carpet, we've, we've done things a little different. Um, some of you complain that we keep it too cold in here. Right? Amen. Listen to that. My goodness. Your wife never amens me until I bring up the AC, Toddle. But the reality is we have all these things. You know, if you would just change it. So so maybe if we had chairs, climate-controlled seating, right? <laughs> People would come in for the climate-controlled seating, and they would love My wife would like climate-controlled seating. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that right now. She would love it because in our house, I'm a 65, and she's a 74. Now, I'm not talking about the bed, right, where they can, the number bed. I'm talking about the AC and the heat. I came over here this morning, and I walked in with shorts and a shirt and no shoes at 7.30 this morning. But I am from East Texas. I'm a little off. I'm really from the Piney Woods. That makes it worse. So, but the truth is, we're all different. But if maybe if we just did some climate control chairs or, or, or maybe maybe if we did more music and less preaching or if we just changed everything up, we would be more attractive. That's not biblical. So I want this morning to look at, at how to attract the lost. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, and we're going to read verse number 9. Let's stand together as we read from God's word.
how to attract the lost. One who walks in integrity walks securely. But one who perverts his way will be found out. Father, I pray this morning that we will understand that what makes the church attractive is that we are who we say we are. That when people look in at the church, they see people who have been changed, transformed, born again, born anew. Father, how desperate the lost are and they don't even know it. And how unaware we are of their great need. Because, Father, so often in the church, there is no integrity. We're one way here, and we're something else when we leave the doors. Father, forgive us for our lack of integrity within the walls of your church. Lord God, be with us today. Help us to understand and to grasp the importance of being attractive to a lost and dying world. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Integrity is the beginning of being attractive to making your church beautiful, to having people desire to walk in her doors, her to come a part of her uh, her body is what I should say, because the building is not the church, the people are. And so we're talking here about integrity. We're talking about people that, that God says are, are doing exactly what they preach when they leave outside of the gathering. Once the church has gathered together, who are you when you are away from the building, when you're away from the body? How are you? Integrity, who we are. And unfortunately, a lot of the things that we do and say here do not match what we do and say outside of the walls of this building because we think for some reason that when we're together as a body, we have to behave in a certain manner in a certain way. And so what we say here kind of is, is, is a righteous ritual or a, a religious ritual. But when we go outside the door, we leave righteousness inside of here and our integrity then is lost. And one of the main reasons that a lot of people say I would never ever want to be a Christian is because they watch you walk into a door, walk inside of a building, and when you walk out, you are unchanged. But what you do inside is is the uh, masking. You, you You fake it inside because who you really are is found on the outside. And the world sees it and the world says, why would I want to be a part of a place that has no integrity? Where the people do not act the same in outside as they do inside. They, they act one way. They sing the songs. They, they say all the right things. They do all the right. But when they walk out the door, then we hear nothing but, but vileness and evilness and anger and hatred. And folks, if you think that that doesn't talk about a church, then you've never been a church member for very long. Because within the church, there's a lot of issues. We know that, but here's the good news. God can still transform. God can still change. The problem, though, is that our integrity a lot of times has been lost because we have acted one way outside of what we consider the church, which we a lot of people consider the building to be the church. They have forgotten who the actual church is. You and I are the church. How we live, how we talk, how we walk, how we act and react and respond to life. That is our integrity. Job chapter 2, 
uh, verse 3 says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright uh, man fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds firm to his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. He's referring back to Job after he's already lost his children, after he's already lost his livestock. And, and again, after all of that took place, Job's integrity was intact. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. He still gave honor and glory to God. His integrity was intact. Here's what happens with a lot of us. When life goes south, when life gets sour, we become sour instead of turning to God. And our integrity as a believer who has said, I trust God in all things. Whatever God throws at me, I will just trust him with. And in the moment that God allows things to happen in our life, we do the opposite. Now our integrity is in, is, is in question. The reason that the church has lost favor within the eyes of the lost is because so many people who walk outside the church don't practice what they preach. Integrity is practicing what you preach. Integrity is being who you say you are inside of here, outside of here. When Job's life literally was crashing down around him, he stayed faithful. Psalm 15, 2 says, one who walks with integrity practices righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. All of a sudden, God is telling us one of the major issues within the church is a lack of integrity. The reason that so many people will refuse to come inside the walls are because of the very people that are inside the walls. They watch you at work. They recognize you as a co-worker. They see you as a boss. They hear what you have to say here, and then they recognize how you live out there. Folks, our integrity, who we are, must match who we say we are no matter where we are. That is important. If I say I'm a believer and life goes south, guess what? I gotta show up as a believer. I've gotta be one who is faithful. I've gotta be one that is gonna stand no matter what and say I trust God even though life seems to be going south, even though life seems to be falling apart, I'm gonna trust God in the midst of all of this because who I am does not change because of my circumstances. And yet for a lot of us, that's the issue. Life does change. We fall away. We step away. And our integrity questioned if we want to make the church attractive we must be the same person outside of these walls as we are inside of these walls you may tell you the reason that we celebrated howard berry a few weeks ago because that man has great integrity that man has great integrity he doesn't change. When life has happened to him, he remains faithful. Does that mean that he doesn't feel pain? He doesn't hurt? Listen, if I lost my son and my wife, like he lost his, if I have it, if it was my daughter and my wife and I lost him, I'm going to tell you, I would be in great pain. But I would hope and I would pray that I would have the integrity of a man who I've looked up to for years. And I would be able to say, 
God giveth and God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I would want to be the same person. That mean I wouldn't hurt. That mean there wouldn't be pain. But I refuse. That's how the church has to say, I refuse to change just because life has given me a challenge. And folks, whenever the world sees that our integrity is intact and that no matter what happens to us inside or outside of these walls, no matter what happens to us, that we continue to trust God and we continue to praise God, all of a sudden we become attractive to a lost and dying world. And they want to know, how in the world can you stand here with faith? How can you stand here with trust in God when it seems he's turned his back on you? And we can simply say this, God will never leave me nor forsake me. It doesn't say he's not going to allow tough times. It doesn't say it's not going to be hard on us. But what he says is that I will never leave you nor forsake you through those times. The world needs to see you, the church, being the church, no matter where you are. That's integrity. When life slaps you across the face, instead of raising your arm ready to slap it back, what's the Bible say we're supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. Some of you are like, I only got two cheeks. Like you're counting them like if they hit me again. But then Jesus told disciples to forgive them 70 times what? Seven. So you're like, well, I'm counting all the way up to 490. Integrity. Who you are in here should equal what you are outside of the walls if you want to be attractive to the lost and dying. The next thing, though, is something that a lot of us look at and go, there's a word. I guarantee you most teenagers today will look at this one word and go, no, no, no. Okay? Now, teenagers, I'm not picking on you. I'm not because I was a teenager once. Okay? Hard work should be attractive to the lost and dying world. When you have a world today who is running from work, who is running from doing anything, any sort of responsibility, they want nothing to do with with anything that causes sweat, causes pain, causes actual having to think and do. When when you have more people quitting their jobs and staying, do you not see how backwards that is from being a Christian? But look at what the world is saying. We, we, we don't want to work. We don't want to work. People are uh, trying to find jobs. People come to us all the time at church here. I, I, I don't have any money. Well, why not? Well, I can't find a job. Man, there are, there are help wanted signs all over the place. The problem is we don't want to do those jobs. Well, guess what? If your family's in need, suck it up, buttercup. You go to work. And the the world needs to see a church who says, you know what? I will provide. I will work. I will do all the things that God has called me to do. I will stand up and be counted for my family. I will stand up and be counted for my church. At your job, the Christian should be the hardest worker on the map. Everybody out there should know who the saved person is because they're the one that's working the hardest. Their attitude is the best. 
They have the right attitude. No matter what's thrown at them, you know what? That's okay. It's all in a day's work. Now, I'm going to go ahead and share this with y'all. I didn't get permission to do it, but I, I'm okay because um, I'll know later after the service is over whether or not I have, I'm okay with this. Okay. I could not do my wife's job. I, I couldn't do it. I love my wife with all my heart. And I'm telling you, to me, she's one of the bravest women to ever live. She goes every day and deals with three, four, and five-year-olds. And then she goes home and deals with me. <laughs> Can you imagine having that life for a moment? Just to, to live with that. For But no, every day she goes in and, and, and she goes into work and, and, and it's always something. And she'll come home with things on her shirt. And I'm like, what's that? I have no idea, <laughs> right? Because they all want to touch her and want to be right there. And but but I watch her and and I and I look at at her and and I'm gonna tell you something. My wife has found the very thing her calling in life, and 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 she has fallen in love with her job. And and I will tell you that nobody will do a harder day's work and put more in to that job than my wife. And the reason that it that it that it's there is because it starts with her relationship with God. She understands God has put her in that position, and so she wants to please God above all things. She wants to make sure that those children have the opportunity to hear the gospel because that's the ultimate goal here for these little kids is to know the truth about God, even at that young age, to establish that good foundation for them. So she's working hard to make sure that they have that. She's not afraid of the work. She goes out if it's raining, she doesn't it's all part of the job. She gets it done. Why? Because as a believer, she understands her first representation is God. And so she works like she does. I go in and visit with her for five minutes and I'm ready to go. I love those kids. I do. I love them. Good grief. Have you ever been around five million questions in a minute? Right? And Kathy always comes home. She says, if I hear my name called one more time. And you know, I'm sweet. I'm just like, okay, sweetie. No problem. Let her walk away. Hey, Kathy. Miss Kathy. You say, why is it important that Christians work hard? Because the Bible is very clear that we ought to work hard. You've heard of the virtuous wife, Proverbs 31. The virtuous woman, the virtuous wife. Proverbs 31, 27 says she watches over the activities of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. You find a lazy Christian and you will find a bad example for the world to look at. Christianity and laziness should not go together. You young people need to understand that the reason that your parents tell you to do certain things is because they're trying to instill in you a work ethic that is biblical. It is something that God has had us to do from the beginning. But but here we see this woman who says, listen, I have a house to provide for. I have things to do. I have children at home and a husband there. And the Bible talks about her husband and how he is so proud of her because wherever she goes, she speaks of nothing but praise for her husband. Some of you are like, well, I, I don't do that. Well, shame on you because you're the one who represents your husband when he's not around. And if all you have to say is evil and negative, negative things about your husband, then you're saying that about your own household. This woman said, listen, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to provide for my family. I'm not going to be idle. 
Some of you are like, yeah, but man, work. Work came because of the fall. No, it didn't. Work didn't come because of the curse, because of the fall. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 2, before the fall, that we find in Genesis chapter 3, it says, And so the heavens and the earth were completed in all their heavenly lights. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because on it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, no shrub of the field was yet on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord God had not set rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Notice that all of a sudden we're talking about work here. God hadn't made man yet. Things hadn't happened, but a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living person the lord god planted a garden toward the east in eden and there he placed the man whom he had formed out of the ground the lord god caused trees to grow that is pleasing to the side and good for food the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from it it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Fishon. It flows around the whole land of Avila, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, the Dilma and the onyx stone, and there is there as well. The name of the second river was the Gahan. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river was the Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now listen to this. You ready? This is before the fall. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. The, the, the world today has become lazy. They have become where they don't care about anything. They have their hand out. They just want the government to give, to give, to give. And listen, the church should not look like this. The church should be hardworking and after it and, and, and tending to the things that, that God has put it in charge of. And we ought to be active. People, you may tell you, and this is, this is probably going to get me in trouble, um, but you would tell you what really gets on a pastor's nerves. Is that fair to say? When people walk up and say, well, I see such and such didn't get done this week. What a beautiful thing to say to a preacher. How about just doing it? Really? How about, hey, can I do such and such? I noticed that it wasn't finished this week. Can I help out? Can I, can I do my part? Can I join in? What has happened is, is we have become a society, a church society that, that just sits and says, feed me, feed me, feed me. And we wonder, where does the feeding come from? And you look at the guy that you pay money to and you say, well, that's your job. Folks, we are all in charge of the church. We're to feed. We're to take care of it. We're to tend it. God has put me in as an under-shepherd, as an overseer, but ultimately we are all responsible for one another. We're responsible for the things that are going on around these buildings and around the grounds. Hard work is part of being a Christian. And when we live in a world that doesn't want to work, if they see the church working, that shows integrity. And it shows that we care about the things around us.
So many people have a consumer attitude towards the church. What do you have to offer? What do you have to give? One more thing this morning before I'm done. How to be attracted to a lost and dying world? Authentic worship. Authentic worship. Now, if I were to ask some people what worship is, they would say, well, that's what Doug led us in earlier. He led us in worship. He, No, he led us in a form of worship. We worship through song. Did you know you can worship through work? The way that you work shows that you are worshiping God. The way that you work hard and you do everything the right way, that's worship in itself because you are doing it in honor and in the name of God. Authentic worship is an attitude. It is a choice. It is something that we do. It's not a song that we sing. You worship through the the hearing of, of the word. You worship through the music. You worship through prayer. I worship this morning by seeing that, by getting to hold that little baby boy. If you couldn't worship at that moment, there's something wrong with you. To see the miracle that God has given us in that little boy's life. I mean, come on. How do you not sit there and go, look at the goodness and faithfulness of God. Authentic worship. You got those in the church who are afraid to sing because somebody might hear them. If you're one of those that you know you cannot sing, you know you can't carry a tune in a bucket, but you sing anyway. Would you just raise your hand real quick? I like it. I like it. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but if you're the one who you know you can't sing, you can't carry a tune in the bucket, and so you don't sing, you're the one who's afraid. God's wanting authentic worship. You don't care what anybody else thinks. When I first met Bubba, (laughs) I would have never thought that Bubba would ever get up here. Matter of fact, when Bubba met me, he never thought that he would be up here. Right, Bubba? It's the truth. Or excuse me, we're on film. Tommy. Tommy. That's better. That's his East Texas name, Bubba. But, uh. But the truth is, Bubba Jackson would have never been up here. And I remember the first time, Bubba, you you were up here. This was you, the very first time. This was the first time. Right? I mean, scared to death. The day you get up here and you're looking at everybody and you're singing. and you're Why? Because you found out something. We just want to worship along with you. Part of the worship is just being who you are and and taking what God has given you. And if it's not a voice, who cares? Because it all sounds beautiful to him when you're letting it sing. The true worship can actually be found in a little man named Zacchaeus. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. I want you to look at what authentic worship really looks like. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. Hey, kiddos, what does the Bible say about Zacchaeus? What what does that song say? What kind of man was he? He's a wee little man. He was a chief tax collector. 
and he was rich. So right off the bat, the Bible's letting you know a couple of things about him. He is a cheat and nobody liked him. This is how the Bible would describe these tasks. They were not thought very highly of. They, they would cheat. That's how they made their money. Uh, he was very wealthy. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. But he was unable due to the crowd because he was short in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. I want you to recognize something here. Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. He knew the heart of Zacchaeus. He knew all the things that Zacchaeus had done. And yet, what does Jesus do? He doesn't shun him. He doesn't turn him away. He actually seeks him out. Here's what I love about Christ. If you really want to know who he is, you don't have to look very far. He is already seeking you. And he put within your heart to seek him. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That's the first step of true worship. Joyfully receiving what Christ has done for you. He took your place, my place, our place on the cross. He took our beating. He took our death. He took our grave. And he overcame all of it. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying, He was gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, You want to know what worship is? Listen to this. This is worship. Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I am giving back for four times as much. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You say, Brother Tom, I didn't hear any singing in there. How's that worship? It's because we have messed up the word worship and we think of it only as a worship set. Oh, those six songs of worship. No, no, no. Folks, worship is recognizing who you are and who you are not. Zacchaeus realized, I'm a sinner. Zacchaeus realized, I am in desperate need of trusting the Father. And the reason that we see worship here is I want you to pay attention to what he says. Behold, half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor. Can I just share this with you? The poor would be the very people that Zacchaeus despised before he came to Christ. The poor would have been the very people that he didn't want nothing to do with. Nothing. I don't want to hear them, don't want to see them. And now he's going to give them half of what he has. And he says, and then if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'm giving back four times as much. Brother Tom, what does that mean? My friend, he was willing to become poor so that he might become rich. That's worship. He was willing to give everything he had away just so he could have Christ. 
True worship is whenever you come to the point of saying, I don't care who knows me. I don't care what they think of me. All I want is Jesus. I've watched some of you in this church come to a place where all you wanted was Jesus. And oh, how your life was being changed at that moment because all you wanted was Christ. And I watched the hand of God working on you, doing great things in your life, and then all of a sudden, life happened. You got busy, and you forgot to worship. And now life is you bogged down and everything's falling apart. Marriages are falling apart. Life is falling apart. Your job is horrible. Why? Because you have forgotten to worship. Folks, wherever you are right now, I want you to take the moment to just worship. Can you worship God right now in the midst of your storm? Can you worship God? Can you find within yourself the ability to say, God, no matter how bad this feels in my life right now, I just want nothing but you. If that's you today, you don't have to come say a word to me. And if any of you thinks, well, why are they down there? Then you need to follow next. But if you need to come today and say, God, I am desperate for you. And I want you to come to this altar and pray. If maybe this is the place God's calling you to join and be a part of, then I want you to come and I want you to walk that aisle and say, I'm ready. I am ready to make this my church home. Or maybe you need to come to a place of salvation. And what you really need to say is, Lord, I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. And if that's you, you come today. And I'll be glad to pray with you and talk to you. But today, let's leave with our integrity and let's be outside who we are inside. At our job, let's show integrity by working hard. And no matter what life throws at us this week, let's just choose to worship God. There's nothing more we can do to be attractive to the lost and dying. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. And Lord, this morning, we confess to you That a lot of the times in our life we've gotten so busy, we've not taken the time to worship. Life has happened so fast, we've not made choices that show integrity. Some of us have just gotten lazy, forgotten what it is to work hard, which is not a curse, but a blessing that we had the ability to do so. God, today, challenge us and change us. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Let's stand together.